You're listening to the Fertility Academy podcast, episode 26. Today, I have the pleasure of sharing my interview with Nicola Salmon, the founder of Fat Positive Fertility, and we're talking all about fertility support for people of size. So stay tuned. Welcome to Fertility Academy, a podcast where we provide you with information and tools to help you optimize your fertility to grow your family no matter where you are in your fertility journey. We offer interesting, creative, and evidence-based information and give you practical tools to help you get closer to your goal of building a family. I'm your host, Michelle Kapler. I'm a fertility-focused acupuncturist and Chinese medicine practitioner, board-certified fertility specialist, and fertility coach with over 10 years of experience helping my patients build their families. I'm so glad you're here with us. Let's get on with the episode. Hello and welcome. I'm so glad you're here with us today. I'm really excited to share my conversation with Nicola Salmon today. She's a fertility coach and activist for better fertility care for people of size. I've been following her work for a few years now. I first heard her on Amanda Laird's podcast called Heavy Flow. Obviously, it's all about menstrual health and periods. And I was so inspired by her passion and advocacy for a high level of care at all sizes. Today, we're going to dive into some important topics around fat positive fertility, such as some of the common myths surrounding fertility for fat folks, what the research says, and also what it doesn't say, why weight loss and dieting is not helpful, what people can do instead to help their fertility process, how people can advocate for better care, and so much more. Before I play the interview, I want to offer Nicola's professional bio. Nicola is a fat-positive fertility coach and author of Fat and Fertile. She helps fat folks navigate getting pregnant in a weight-obsessed world and advocates for change in how fat people are treated whilst accessing help for their fertility. Nicola uses her unique fat-positive framework to support people in finding their own version of health without diets, advocate for their bodies, relearn how to trust their body, and believe in their ability to get pregnant. So without further delay, let's play my interview with Nicola. All right. Welcome, Nicola. Thank you so much for being on the show with us today. Oh, I'm so excited to finally meet you, Michelle. I'm really excited. Me too. Um, I was saying to you before we hit record that I had listened to you for the first time on the Heavy Flow podcast with Amanda Laird a couple of years ago, and I've been following you ever since. And I think that you're doing such important work. And I'd love to hear a little bit more about how you got into doing what you're doing. Absolutely. So, it felt like a very strange path when I was walking it, but it kind of, now that I can look back, it all all starts to add up a little bit. So I was diagnosed with PCOS when I was 16. Um, for folks who don't know, PCOS is, stands for polycystic ovarian syndrome, and it's a hormonal condition and a metabolic condition, so it can impact your periods. It can impact your kind of blood glucose, like lots of different ways it can impact your life. Um, but when I was diagnosed, the doctor actually told me that I wouldn't be able to get pregnant. So I spent my teens and my 20s expecting motherhood or preparing for motherhood to be really difficult for me. I had super irregular cycles, didn't know when I ovulated. So I was always really interested in kind of hormones and things like that. Um, and it was... I ended up training to be an acupuncturist because um, for a not fertility related incident, I had some acupuncture, thought it was amazing, had to know how it worked. Um, so I decided to train as an acupuncturist. That's what kind of led me into fertility stuff because so many folks came to me with fertility issues um, when I was an acupuncturist. So I 
ended up specializing in that and then going on to do some coaching training because it was really important for me to support folks kind of with their mental health and kind of ongoing beyond acupuncture. And then it was when my first son was born because we didn't have any problems getting pregnant that I realized that, oh, okay, well, it was really easy for me to get pregnant. Why why was I told it was going to be difficult? Um, and it planted this seed. And I was so convinced that all the, because I'm in a bigger body, because I'm fat, I have spent so much of that time on weight loss programs, trying to lose weight, dieting. And I just, you know, for me, it felt so kind of important that, you know, before I was, before I even got my periods, that I was dieting. And that felt really, that connection felt really important for me. And I, you know, when you start cutting out foods like fat and carbs, like, it really made me question what impact that had on my body going through puberty. And it's something that, you know, I often thought about, but I never really found anybody talking about it or any resources around it. When I got pregnant and my son was born and then we started going down that path of trying to feed him, I realized that the way that I was talking about my body and the way I was talking about food was not something that I wanted to pass on. I did not want him to hear those messages around, oh, I hate the way I look and, oh, this food is good, this food is bad, this food, you know, like all that stuff that I had picked up over all those years of dieting. So I quit dieting. At that point, I decided no more. I've had enough. I don't want to put my time, my energy, my money into this anymore. But it really left this big hole. I was like, well, what what do I do now? Like, how do I be a fat person navigating this world when so often we're told that we have to be like dieting on a way to lose weight, you know, finding a way to conform. Um, And it was then that I found the Health at Every Size movement, which is a movement that's been going for 50 plus years now of folks who are saying, you know, okay, well, you know, you can be fat and healthy. Size doesn't determine your health factors and you don't have to lose weight in order to achieve health if that's something that you want to pursue. And then it just felt like this huge weight had been lifted off my shoulders. It just felt like it's the world started to make sense again for me. And it because of the work that I do in fertility, I was like, but there's nobody talking about this in the fertility world. Like, diet culture like this idea that you have to be a certain weight and a quote-unquote normal size in order to optimize your fertility is talked about so much and so many people are harmed by this idea that you have to be a quote-unquote healthy weight in order to get pregnant and you know beyond this idea it's you know people are denied access based on their size and that is just something I'm so passionate about correcting because it's yeah people are just being denied healthcare based purely on their size and being denied the opportunity to become a parent. Well, thank you so much for sharing all of that. <laughs> there is so much to unpack there. Oh my goodness. First of all, I had no idea that you were trained as an acupuncturist. Yeah, and that's my first love and I still do it now. So um, that's where my all kind of my foundation is. Amazing. That's so great. I'm not sure if you know that about me, but I'm also an acupuncturist and I'm exclusively focused in fertility. And it's such it's such an amazing gift to be able to take this 
holistic view of the body and not only a person's relationship to their own body, but also the relationship to the environment that surrounds them. And in the context of fertility, that is so tied into their fertility clinic experience, if that's the type of treatment that they're using to get pregnant. And it can be so harmful to be surrounded by the conversation of being too big, having a BMI that's too high, this conversation that consistently happens in fertility clinics. And like you said earlier, you know, people are actually being denied care because of this aspect of themselves. And that can definitely be included in the environmental factors that go into how we live in our bodies and how we relate to our health. And so I think that's really great that you're an acupuncturist. So cool. I had no idea. I'm blown away in this moment. Anyway, just to bring it back to the conversation, can you talk about some of the myths surrounding fertility for fat folks? I know that there are a lot of misconceptions out there. So could you tell us about a few of them? Absolutely. So I think the biggest one that is kind of foundational to all this work is that fat people can't get pregnant. So that's what what I would grow up to believe that's what I believed about my body that it was going to be really hard for me to get pregnant not only because of my PCOS but because I was in a bigger body and I thought the only way to be able to help my health was to lose that weight was to find you know my inner thin person is how it's often talked about and for me that was that had a huge impact on on my self-confidence on my trust in my body on the decisions I made about my health, because I believed that the only way I was able to access that health and therefore that fertility was through weight loss. And the things that I did to get there were not healthy. Like the, you know, like, you know, I probably tried like 50 plus diets over that life, over that course of time. And none of them were rooted in how can I look after myself? It was all rooted from a place of, how can I lose the most weight? How can I shift the number on the scale in the most, the most quickly? Um, so yeah, so this myth, the idea that fat people can't get pregnant, the research actually shows that they can in the absolutely same numbers. Um, it can take fat folks slightly longer. But when I asked people like, well, okay, we know, you know, we maybe again, another myth we've heard is that people take longer to get pregnant. How long do you think that is? People said, well, years, you know, like three or four years at least. And actually, the only evidence I could find was it one to two months was the increased time that it took for fat folks to get pregnant. And obviously, fat people aren't a monolith, you know, like people's BMIs vary hugely. And it's not to say that anybody over this cutoff point will take two, one to two months longer. It's just this kind of trend that we've seen. And there are so many things that can um, explain that trend that aren't based on fat being bad and fat people being more unhealthy than thin folks. Very good. And so you mentioned the research a couple of times. And so if people want to look more into this research, I'm assuming that they can find those resources on your website and on your social media channels. Is that right? Yeah. So I've done a lot of posts um, about the research on my Instagram account because I really want people to have this, to be able to access this research because sometimes for folks, that's the only way that they can fight back against the kind of barriers and restrictions they face because of their size. And I think you know, I'm in a really lucky position that I have a scientific background. So I'm able to digest that research and put it in a kind of 
a more simple thing that people can understand. But for folks who maybe don't have a research background, you know, even for me, who I, you know, I didn't in the end have trouble getting pregnant, reading through the research is hugely triggering. It's really quite um, difficult to have to go through and tread through all that language and assumptions that these um, scientists make about fat people because, you know, they're just people at the end of the day. And while we like to believe that science is this like gold standard, like science is done by people and people are inherently biased. Um, and we know that through other, you know, other oppressions, such as for black people and for, you know, folks of color. So we know that those biases impact the way that research and science plays out. And it's, it's the same for fat folks, because every paper that you read about fat people will start with the quote unquote, obesity odemic is taking over the world. And we know that fat is bad and unhealthy. So you can see them setting up those assumptions and those kind of those biases straight from the get go. Yeah, and that's hugely problematic. And I think that it spills over into the medical community as well, because there's so much um, common gold standard medical practice that is rooted in research. But, you know, in a lot of cases, you can find good supportive research to support either side of an argument in a lot of cases. And so sometimes it's just about figuring out what you can use to back up your position and then go to your doctor with that because doctors themselves will have preconceived notions about what it means to be healthy and what it means to be fertile. And that's just not always the case. So it's so great that people like yourself are making this research more easily digestible and easy to consume and less triggering as well, because I know that that can be a huge part of things too. So thank you for doing that work. Thank you. And I think, like you said, like, Although you can always, you know, often see two sides for the research, I think the overarching question that we need to be asking is, like, why are we trying to deny these people care and support? Because ultimately, we are all human beings and we all absolutely deserve appropriate and respectful health care, no matter what is going on for our health, right? Yeah, Absolutely. You've mentioned a few times in our conversation about the fact that weight loss and dieting are not helpful. And it's my personal belief that with any health endeavor, a lot of the time, it's not appropriate to simply lose weight for the sake of losing weight, but especially in the context of fertility. So could you talk a little bit more about why it's not helpful? Yeah, absolutely. So all the research regarding intentional weight loss, whether that's dieting, whether that's through surgery, um, it only ever shows any kind of um, results in the short to midterm. So that's kind of two to five years. There is no evidence to support the long-term efficacy of intentional weight loss. The research kind of shows that for between two-thirds and like 90% of folks, they will go on to then regain that weight and often plus more. And we often prescribe weight loss because, you know, I did this before I knew differently. You know, I would often recommend to folks that, you know, this is the thing that we need to do. Often we do that without really understanding the risks that are associated with that. And we don't recognize that so much dieting can lead to disordered eating and eating disorders because that is a scale. And, you know, even now I've been not dieting for maybe three, four years. Um, yeah, I can still recognize certain behaviors in myself that I can attribute to a diet that I used to do or a way of like seeing my health in a very kind of 
weight loss focused way. So I can still absolutely identify those behaviors in myself, even now, um, after I've, you know, taught myself how to recognize what's going on. And eating disorders and disordered eating is really problematic. And we know that it impacts menstruation. We know that it impacts fertility when you start reducing somebody's um, energetic consumption. We know that um, the stress that folks go under from having to diet and the mental health implications that I have, we know that these are huge. And it's that whole picture of what dieting is, the benefits and the risks are never fully given to folks. So they can never really consent to that as a treatment plan or, you know, however we're giving it to them because they aren't fully aware of the risks that come with it and the fact that they'll probably go on to regain that weight. And if they are able to keep the weight off, then maybe that will come with its own disordered eating kind of behaviors in order for them to maintain that weight. Because, you know, if you are a fat person in this world, we are often taught that, well, you've got to do that at any cost, right? Like you've got to maintain the weight loss if you lose weight or try and lose weight at any cost. And for me now, the cost of having to be in a smaller body is not worth the energy and the time and the mental, just the way that it took up my brain space, it it is not worth that. Now that I'm free and I can see how that was different for me, you know, like it's just, it took over my whole life and I can't even begin to explain like to somebody who's not been through that, how, how much mental energy it takes up having to be on a diet or feel like, even if you're not on a diet that you should be on one, like it just consumes, consumes everything. Wow. Thank you for putting that so clearly. You've obviously put a lot of thought and care into this and that's such an important message. I want to take it back a little bit to that aspect of consent that you were talking about and how um, it's virtually impossible to gain informed consent within the context of medical practice when you have a doctor saying the only way to do this is to lose weight the only way to be healthy is to lose weight. And how can somebody possibly consent to a treatment plan or procedure when the doctor is saying with the authority that they have that this is the only way to do it? I mean, that's just a really, really interesting thing to consider. So thank you for bringing that forward. So I think that brings up a really interesting question next is that, well, if diet and weight loss aren't something that's helpful in the context of trying to get pregnant and, you know, quite frankly, a lot of other ways of, of healing as well, because it doesn't just stop with fertility. I mean, it continues after you get pregnant, right? Absolutely. So if that really isn't the best way to approach things, despite the fact that your doctor might be telling you that it is, what do you suggest that people do instead? Great question. So, I mean, really, it's all the things that we would recommend folks do, like health promoting behaviors. So the three questions that I often ask people when they first come to me is, are you eating enough? So making sure that people are eating enough food, like regardless of what that food is, are they getting enough food to nourish and support their bodies and potentially growing another human being? Because especially for fat folks who've been on diets their whole life, that really distorts what you think is enough food. And, you know, like I know folks who've come to me and they've been on 1200 calorie diets for a really long time because they consider that to be the normal. And, you know, we know that that's not enough food to 
to sustain a toddler. And it, it, you know, when you tell people that, it blows their mind because they have been taught to believe that they don't deserve to eat more and that is what they should be eating because that is the only way that they're going to lose weight or get help. And our bodies are phenomenal. They can adapt to so much. And yeah, making sure folks get enough food is definitely the first thing that I ask them to to support. And, you know, obviously we want that to be balanced. Obviously we want them to have enough protein, enough carbs, you know, you know, fats, all the things, but just getting enough is the first hurdle that I often speak to folks about. And then the next one is sleep. You know, we all need sleep. Our, our culture completely undermines sleep. You know, we should be getting way more rest than we do. So it's about making sure people are supported in accessing the rest and the, and the, the sleep and the the stop time from life that they need and then also finding a way to move our bodies which feel good because for folks who are in bigger bodies we associate exercise with punishment that's what we do like it's another way to lose weight it's another way to punish ourselves for eating the foods that we wanted to eat so finding a way that feels good that feels joyful or that just feels supportive if joy isn't available. Like if, if some, for some people in bigger bodies, they cannot find that joyful movement. So finding a way that feels supportive and gives them more energy or, you know, just a way that makes them feel better in their bodies. You know, those three things, we've got so much research that supports that, you know, those three health promoting behaviors are going to really support somebody, regardless of whether the weight goes up, goes down or stays the same. Those are going to have a really positive impact on health markers like blood glucose levels and like your heart rate and your blood pressure and all those things that we can measure that we know impact health. Amazing. Thank you for that. And I love that all of those things that you suggested, you know, getting enough food, making sure you have enough calories, getting enough sleep, and then moving your body. Those are all ways to improve health that are basically accessible to everybody and they don't cost money to do those things. I mean, you don't have to spend a whole bunch of money on doing those things. And I really love that because simple, actionable things that people can put into practice are what's most useful, in my opinion. So thank you for that. Absolutely. And we know those things, like you say, they're actions people can take. Like weight loss isn't an action that you can do. It's not something that we can control, whereas people can control getting enough food you know, supporting their sleep and moving their bodies like that's things that they can take and they can feel good in those things. And they will improve their quality of life now as well, not just, you know, you know, because the problem with the pregnancy goal is that you're never halfway there, right? You never know how far you're moving along that scale towards getting pregnant. Whereas these things people can control, they feel good, it makes them feel better in their bodies rather than worse. And I think for folks who are waiting for that end goal, it's nice to nice to do something for you as well and to feel good in the now just as well as preparing for the future definitely that's a conversation that i have with people often in clinical practice in the context of providing acupuncture because people want to know well how do i know that it's working you know how do i know that i am making positive action that it's actually doing something and you know that's a tough question because pregnancy is so black and white you're either pregnant or you're not but it doesn't mean that the things that you're doing aren't helping it doesn't mean that the things that you're doing aren't changing things for the better and so looking at those basic health things can be such an important practice from week to week you know 
Are you sleeping well? Are you satiated after your meals? Um, you know, how are your stress levels? All of those things are measurable on a day-to-day basis. And those are the things that I encourage people to look for in terms of, are we successful? Is what we're doing working for you? Is it feeling peaceful to be doing these things and making those changes? So important. I love it. So one thing that I really feel excited about asking you about today is about the piece of advocating for better care. I know that it can feel like it can feel really hopeless to people who feel like they don't have a lot of choices in the medical care that they're getting. I have uh, fat people come into my clinic on a regular basis and they say, I don't know what to do. My fertility clinic is saying that they're not going to let me do IVF um, for this and this and this reason. And so do you have any tips for people for how they can navigate that situation? Mm, And it is the first thing that I want to do is acknowledge that this is work that they should not have to do. This should not they should not have to put all this time and energy and effort into finding care that they deserve because it should be available to them and it makes me so angry that they have to put themselves in these really vulnerable positions to have to try and figure out a way of getting the care that they need um the first the first most obvious one is can they change providers obviously that's hugely dependent on where they are what clinics they've got close by to them how far they're willing to travel um but I've on my blog, I've got a list of clinics that folks have recommended to me that where they've had success. Again, it's just a starting point because fat folks aren't a monolith and we can't, you know, for someone who's in a small fat body, they'll have a vastly different experience for somebody who's a, in a larger fat body. Um, but it's a place to start. And I think one of the blessings of COVID is that more clinics have opened the option of telehealth, which means that you can work with a clinic across country if, you know, if obviously if your insurance allows or, you know, depending on how your healthcare system works, like there are more options available now for folks who are living further away from clinics who might support them. So if that's an option, you know, see what's available in terms of either close by or further away that can offer telehealth support and maybe getting scans at local clinics because they are there, they're available um, and there will be a clinic that will support you at current size. If that's not an option, then you can go into your clinics and start talking to your healthcare providers about why, what evidence base they've got for denying you care. And look, obviously, these conversations aren't easy. You can, um, and there are kind of normally like four things that they might bring up so it could be that they don't think it's going to be effective they don't think the treatment's going to be safe they don't think that you know they want you to just do go and lose the weight or that they think that they don't want you to get pregnant because they don't think pregnancy is going to be safe so all those four areas I've kind of collated a lot of research around them to support folks in you know having those conversations and seeing if they can ask their clinics to do these things but you know it really depends on the clinician it depends on your doctor and it depends on the situation but absolutely go in there knowing what you want like what is really important for you what you need out of that appointment go in knowing what your boundaries are around weight loss around dieting you know what is particularly triggering for you if you don't want to be weighed you can absolutely choose not to be weighed that is your choice um if you don't want to talk about diets and weight loss, again, you can state that. You can say, you know, it's really important for me that we don't talk about weight loss and dieting, but I'm happy to talk about other health-promoting behaviours. Like, again, 
protecting your mental health in these appointments and really figuring out what your needs are and what your boundaries are can be really helpful in navigating those conversations. But yeah, for people who are going to go into these appointments, write down all your questions, go in saying, I have a list of questions. These are ones I want to talk about. Making sure that you're really clear about what you want, why you want it. If you have the research, you know, like if you can go on my website, I've got lots of research you can download. If you feel comfortable having that conversation with them, definitely do that. And if they refuse, ask them to write that in your notes. Say that, you know, ask them to write down that they've chosen not to give you these tests or they've chosen not to treat you so that, you know, you've got that. They have to be then held accountable to that. And often once you start holding them accountable to it, then they may change their minds. But, you know, advocacy isn't something we're taught. It's something we have to practice and practice and practice. And we'll get it wrong. We'll go in and we'll freeze or we'll come out and we'll cry. And all these are completely normal reactions. So be kind to yourself, be gentle, prepare as much as you can, and then really look after yourself afterwards, because this is hard work that you should not have to do. Thank you for that. And I think it's appropriate again to acknowledge that it shouldn't have to be this way. It shouldn't have to be that people need to to spend all of this mental energy and all of this effort on doing this work when they, you know, universal good healthcare should just be available to everybody. But thank you anyway for giving those tips. I think that's really, really important. There's definitely some good advice in there and people might want to go back and listen to the episode again a couple of times because there's just been so much juicy good info. <laughs> So for people who are just getting started, if you could speak to the listener who might be in a fat body, who is just getting started on this whole journey, um, maybe they're not even trying to get pregnant yet. What's one thing that you could tell our listeners to help them get started? Mm. So I think the most important thing is that you don't need to assume that there's going to be any problems. Like for so often we go into this worrying about this going wrong or that going wrong but fat people have been getting pregnant for millennia like body diversity has always existed and fat people have always been getting pregnant um and there's absolutely no reason to believe why you're going to be impacted um by fertility issues if you're not even started getting pregnant and if you're just a little bit of the way in like there's no reason to believe that anything is wrong because it takes, you know, for couples who we know where everything is working perfectly, it can take, you know, easily up to 12 months for that to happen. So please don't think that there's definitely going to be something wrong. Just because you're fat, that doesn't mean that there's, you're not going to be able to get pregnant. But I really want you to know that you're absolutely worthy of getting pregnant, of becoming a parent and for accessing any kind of support that you need to get there. Yes, thank you so much. That's amazing. And I know that there are going to be people listening who are really interested in learning more about you and the work that you do. So tell us about your book. Tell us about your program. Tell us about how people can get in touch with you. So I am most active on social media on Instagram. My handle is Fat Positive Fertility. I share lots of research stuff on there, lots of just really supportive messages for folks who are feeling really crap about being wanting to get pregnant in a bigger body. My book, Fat and Fertile, is available on Amazon. It's really kind of like an intro to this work. It kind of is my story mixed with a bit of coaching, mixed with some research. So it's a really nice, gentle introduction to how you might want to go about getting pregnant in a bigger body without dieting and weight loss. 
And then I, for folks who need more support, who want to work closer with me, I do have a 12-month group program where you access kind of one-to-one support with me, loads of tools and um, techniques for advocacy and for supporting your health without weight loss and for really looking at your relationship with food, your relationship with your body, and also kind of that group support as well. Because for fat folks, although there's so much support now in the fertility world, if you know where to look, fat people still feel ashamed to talk about this because whenever they have that conversation it's always well have you thought about losing weight or have you thought about you know going on this diet or that diet um and there's so much shame associated with that so i think having that community element and having that support from other people who are going through it in the same way that you are is so helpful Amazing. Thank you for sharing that. I'm going to make sure that I put all of those links into the show notes so people can click on them easily. And I want to thank you again. We're in totally different time zones. So I really appreciate you making time in your day to come and record with me today. And thank you for doing all the amazing work that you're doing. It's so important. I know that people are going to get a lot out of this episode today. And I hope that people come over and follow you and, uh, and work with you. Thank you so much, Michelle. I've really enjoyed our time together today. So that's it for my interview with Nicola. Please go and follow her. She's so wonderful and very generous with the information that she provides. That's going to be it for me for this week. I'll be back next Wednesday with another episode. Until then, take care. Thank you for joining us on Fertility Academy. We hope you enjoyed the episode. If you loved our content today, please be sure to leave us a five-star review wherever you listen to your podcasts and share it with someone who you think might find it helpful. Don't forget to subscribe to be the first to be notified of new episodes. A new one comes out every Wednesday. To keep in touch with us and to continue the conversation, you can find us over on Instagram at Fertility Academy or join us on our private Facebook group, the Fertility Academy Community. Both are linked in the show notes today. Until next time, have a great week.